1: There is no better group of for flower power Than of the
0: Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help you with some of your gardening quandaries. Later on, I'll be joined by a fellow broadcaster who I respect greatly, a presenter of the great Pebble Mill on BBC One. She now chairs a local gardening programme in the north-east, on BBC Radio Newcastle. It's Marion Foster. Our thanks to Thompson and Morgan, sponsors of this week's podcast. Goodness, what a scorcher. Uh, It took me all my time to try and get off the end of a hose. But really, if the soil's not really damp deep down, it's a job to get enough moisture to the roots for plants to withstand those temperatures of... uh, 30 degrees centigrade, or nineteen plus Fahrenheit. It's been an interesting week for me. Last week, of course, was Gardeners World Live. I had a couple of days up there. Nice to meet so many people. And then flew to Holland for what are called the International Pack Trials. I spent a day travelling with two nurserymen and two garden centre operators. And it was very interesting, really. When we saw a new plant, or an unusual plant to hear what the growers had to say about it and then what the retailers had to say about it and then what I thought about it as a gardener. You know, things that were very easy for the grower to produce in top quality may not have uh, attracted the eye of the retailer. And again, will it actually perform well and flower forever? I mean, for example, we were looking at a strawberry variety called Ruby Anne and the grower said, Oh, that's fantastic. The breeder does a wonderful job. We can grow that very easily from seed. Well, I was looking at the variety Just Add Cream that was alongside it, which of course has to be vegetatively propagated, and so it costs more. And then we went into the debate as to would people pay more for a plant which would have a lovely flavour. And so uh, the discussions continued. There's a new celosia, a comb called Act Verdia, A really weird-looking thing. Well-named because the flower is just like the comb on a cockerel. And then with hydrangeas. Goodness, there's so many new hydrangeas. I'll try and cover some of this in the next few weeks. We saw lots and lots of exciting new things for the garden. I see that one of our seed companies for the new season, 2018, is going to be offering pre-germinated seeds. Now we had these about 20 or 30 years ago where they used to put the seed in a drum, uh, let it revolve in a warm temperature with some moisture and as the seed just started to germinate they would stop the process and then uh, aluminium foil seal the seeds and for two or three weeks you could sow them and they would come up much quicker regardless of soil conditions than untreated seed. The problem then was that you had to do it within that two to three week period. Well now I understand they have the technology that can start the germination going and then hold it for up to two years. Now I'm trying to lay hands on a few samples of seed ahead of this launch in the autumn. We'll keep you updated on what's happening. I understand too that uh, Marshall Seeds are offering a new kind of French bean to all members of the National Vegetable Society. They're going to uh, grow this bean and then put it on show in the autumn vegetable shows. And there are some quite wacky prizes. So if you're a member of the NVS, you look out for uh, this new variety of French bean. But what about uh, the things to do in the garden this week? I was with a school and a young lad of 10... I was showing him how to spray tomatoes and cucumbers to uh, prevent attack from whitefly, and he said to me, I don't kill bugs. Well, now there's an interesting situation. Most of us don't like killing things, but if you don't protect tomatoes and cucumbers from whitefly, and there are a few whitefly about at present, then within six to eight weeks, the whole plant can be absolutely smothered in them, and there'll be black mould growing on the fruits and the leaves. So I'm afraid sometimes uh, we do have to uh, intervene a bit if we want to get reasonable, clean crops and heavy yields. I mean, in the case of the uh, tomatoes and cucumbers of that school, we were using uh, a thing called SB plant invigorator. It's an organic means of stimulating growth and controlling quite a range of pests, particularly whitefly and red spider, and I found it particularly effective. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. I have a very special guest and a very special place for her today. It's Marion Foster, up there in Newcastle, who, uh, those of you in the North East listen to uh, Garden Mania will, I'm sure, recognise the voice. And some of our old friends from Pebble Millet One, all those years ago, they'll recognise voices too. Do you reckon, Marion?
1: It's strange, isn't it? We might change. The hair might go a little bit grey, uh, and we might put on a bit of weight or lose a bit of weight. But our voices all seem to stay the same, and it's, it's wonderful. Sometimes I'll be in a shop, and i remember once in London, and I heard a voice. I was in the middle of the sales, and the heel was this gentleman buying some gloves, an elderly gentleman, and I didn't know who he was. But when he spoke, I thought, I know that voice, I know that voice. And I realized that as a child I'd heard Alvar Liddell on the radio reading the news and doing all the announcements. And um, just hearing that voice... Lots of memories flooded back. He may have changed it. and didn't know what he looked like anyway. But just hearing the voice in the middle of the sales with all these women pushing and shoving and buying gloves and scarves. And here was this very, very gentlemanly gentleman um, just buying some nice leather gloves and his beautiful lo- BBC voice. <laughs> Marion, I would love to have met him. He was the voice of radio, wasn't he? He was. I mean, I didn't say anything to him I was a bit sort of overawed but I thought I've, I've seen him I've seen him and I've heard him in the flesh <laughs> yeah.
0: and I mean if I'm out shopping with the family quite honestly we can get away with all kinds of things as long as I don't speak and people do recognize the voice <laughs> don't right, they very quickly right. yeah but Marion we did uh, so many of those little gardening spots at Pebble Mill from September to uh, May yeah. when the weather was not always perfect when the wind hit that eight-storey building and curled. I hope you still have some memories of those windswept plots. Oh, absolutely. I have a
1: memory of your very first plot, which ended up being cemented over so that the fire brigade could have access to the back door of the building. But in the first year that you started working on Pebble Mill at One, you created a sensation. Was, Was it something like 10 foot by 12 foot?
0: That's correct, 10 foot by 12 foot, one pound to spend, and you were expected to pick vegetables to feed for twice a week. Yes, yes.
1: An, hour's, an hour's work. Uh, like yes, that's right a week or something. Yes, Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And I remember after the program, people used to think we'd go swanning off and doing all sorts of things, but you would end up working a bit more in the garden, and many of us would end up back in the office putting thousands of, of information sheets, <laughs> fact sheets, they were called, into envelopes. because in those days, in the olden days, in the 1970s, people used to send in self-addressed envelopes and, uh, and ask for um, fact sheets. And your uh, little garden, your tiny little allotment plot, um, had thousands and thousands of people writing in every week, and it was all hands on deck. Everybody had to fill in all these envelopes and send them off. Of course, now people just click on a button and listen to a podcast or they send a tweet or or, or, you know all sorts of electronic messages and things but in those days literally they had to sit down after the program write a letter send another envelope with it and and then we had to fill it after after our programs. (laughs) children various People who had children in the family, the children would come in after school and help. Was, know, it was a real, it mean, was a real family thing.
0: Without question, I mean, my the first broadcast I did for Pebble Mill was on Christmas houseplants, and I was supposed to do eight minutes. And then you know what happens, you know, the singer overran a bit, and an interview overran a bit, and my minutes were, were chipped and chipped and chipped, until in the end I just had three minutes, not eight, and I went through all the plants I'd got at a rate of knots and said, sorry there wasn't more time if you send for a fact sheet, and we, we had twelve and a half thousand letters, and it took my son and my dad an hour to open 250, I mean that's a, <laughs> I, I certainly uh, have feelings for you in the office.
1: I know, filling so was those that envelopes. A, yeah, was that the first book that you wrote um, when you did a book about that vegetable plot? Um, because in the end, it was decided you—you um, know—you had to write a book because we were getting fed up with filling all these envelopes. This way it was easier, just to send a little book out. And I think it cost 50 pence or something. It did. And, and it was, I've still got one. I've still got one tucked away in the, in the house because uh, all the, the sort of basic um, advice never changes. But I've often wondered if that was your first book because you've
0: written an awful lot since then. It was the first book that was really successful, I think. Mm-hmm. And it sold 900,000 <laughs> and is now in either 11 or 12 languages. It it went from the booklet up into hardback, Mm -hmm. and now there's a Finnish edition, a Swedish, (laughs) a Norwegian, a Brazilian. Uh, It went to a very good packager. (laughs) But, you know, you introduced me to Chelsea.
1: I'd never been to Chelsea before, um, but I was sent down to do um, the lunchtime programme from there and, and to see what you had created for Chelsea. And you had put on the most amazing display... Of radishes, and (laughs) I've never seen (laughs) so many radishes. Do you remember? Because you got a medal for it, and it was nothing
0: but radishes. 32 different kinds of (laughs) radish, yes, that's right. All colours, purple, yellow, pink, white, red and white, long ones, short ones, round ones. It's, It's still fun, and I've repeated it once. We got some schools to do it about five years ago. Uh, it's amazing the variety that there is in our business. And
1: then the following year, you got another medal. I remember for doing a replica of that twelve by ten foot uh, vegetable plot. Yeah. And uh, and and that again, uh, when you, you almost got a gold, I remember you got a silver gilt. And I remember thinking. What's a silver gilt? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's nearly a gold, but not quite. It's very frustrating. Second place, yes. <laughs> it's a story of my life. Usually, second place. You're you're
1: one of the survivors in this world when it comes to broadcasting and and uh, and, and journalism, and you've you've kept going a very long time, Peter. I mean, I, I sometimes wonder, you know, where you get all the energy from, or is it all those radishes you've been eating <laughs> over the years?
0: I think it's spending an hour or so through the winter digging each day. You know, it just keeps yes. you fit. But but, Marion, you still have a very good following in the northeast, don't you? What do you yes. Think? Now, what can you tell us about gardening in the northeast and the local radio? Well,
1: it's one of the amazing things, isn't it, that um, despite all the books and the magazines and the newspapers and, uh, and all the different ways people can find out things about gardening now, people still like to pick up the phone and ring up their local radio station. I think there must be there are nearly thirty BBC local radio stations that actually still have a gardener's phone in. And um it's never changes. Even in, in the middle of December I'll still get one or two calls because there's always something that somebody wants to ask about gardens and plants. And it's just like it was in the days when I worked with you, Peter. I was like a catalyst. I was the one who Helped out and p- presented the program, but really I helped the callers to put their questions across and I always have an expert with me. I have a lovely chap called Gary Phillipson who's an, a complete hoot at the moment. We have a lot of wonderful laughs and uh, he's with me at the moment and then, um, in, in a couple of months' time, because he's been promoted, then he's got a fantastic job with the BBC Tees instead of BBC Newcastle. I'm going to lose him in the, uh, the August.
0: So well, you, you can't uh, got, go. You can't go south of the river. Come on.
1: I, I, know, I know. I know. But uh, well, you know, he was born in Middlesbrough, and you know, they oh, they right. turned to the street. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> but he's got himself a very good job, so he goes with my blessings. But uh, fortunately, I have a little team, and and. Um, I have a regular person who helps out from time to time, and John Guy, who's the head of horticulture at uh, Northumberland College, is going to come in and and be my new partner in crime, in gardening crime, as from uh, mid-August, because that's when the football season starts. My program for years has gone out between one and two on a Sunday, and you wouldn't believe the number of football matches up here that start early. And I keep getting knocked off the air because they have to, Sunderland's got a match or Newcastle's got a match or, you know, some of, <laughs> something else is happening. So now I'm going to be on the air between nine and ten. So half of me is thinking, oh, no, I'm going to have to get up early on a Sunday. But the other half knows that at least my program's not going to be knocked off the air by football. I mean, I, I'm a football fan. I, I enjoy football. but. I get it's a bit much when I, I I lose you know during the winter a lot of programmes
0: uh, um, to, to the football enthusiasts. But it's the same with BBC Two and Gardener's World, isn't it? Yes. Sno- snooker keeps potting them black what, and causing <laughs> yes. great aggravation in the gardening circles. Yeah. Don't they realise that there are more people gardening than there are playing snooker? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, well, it's a, they haven't learned that lesson and the, the, we've been trying to teach them it <laughs> for <laughs> but, two or three generations, I think.
0: And your nine till ten is a very good time, don't you think? I mean, people get up on a Sunday a little later, sitting having breakfast. It, it, you should be perfect for gardeners before they go out and get gardening. That's
1: right. Well, I have had that time slot before for a gardening phone-in so, some years ago now. And I did get a lot of callers because people were getting ready to go out and work on the allotment, yeah. mow the back lawn before the guests arrived or friends arrived, you know, in the afternoon. Of course, now, Peter, you know, I'm getting all these tweets and uh, messages uh, that that come in with photographs, and I can I can see instantly, which is wonderful because in the past, I don't. You must have had this as well, where somebody would come up to you or you uh, you'd get a phone call and someone would say, I've got this mystery plant and I don't know if it's a weed or if it's something I should be keeping and I don't, I don't know what to do with it. And, and so you say, well, describe it. And they always say, well, it's, um,
0: <laughs> it's green. <laughs> 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 I was in a cab recently in London and the driver said uh, he'd got this eyeball plant and it was really very pretty but it made a terrible mess. Now, what do you think an eyeball plant is, Marion? It, it turned out after much uh, questioning to be a cystus um, ah. with a large single flower and a yellow centre. So yeah. it, it was white and yellow, looked like a fried egg, and so he called it the eyeball yeah, plant. Well,
1: I, can, I can match you with that one. I did get a phone call from someone, um, and actually it was just a few days after I had returned from um, a, a trip to China, and, um, and this person said, I've got this Buddha plant. And I wonder if you could tell me um, how she... And at that time I had uh, two other lovely people, Stan and Eddie, who, were, um, who had been doing the gardening slots for BBC Newcastle for over 30 years. And the three of us sat around the table and we were a complete blank. We couldn't think what she was talking about. And then little messages started flashing up on my screen from one of my friends who answers the calls, you know, takes the, the, the initial calls. People were ringing in saying, do you think they're talking about a budlier? Oh, goodness. And, and I'm thinking, because I'd actually seen some sort of <laughs> mock tree when I was in Hong Kong that, that they called a Buddha tree. <laughs> 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 oh, yes, you know, it must be some amazing oriental thing. And it turns out to be a budlier. So oh, there goodness. you are, you see. It's, uh, yes. it, it's because we give our plants so many strange names, actually. I mean, it, it, I, I still get confused about names, and, and never mind the Latin names, but there's, there's something weird about So <laughs> There's so many of them have long, convoluted names, and if you've never heard anyone say the name, but you just read it, you have to make a bit of a guess, and, and sometimes it can be quite
0: confusing. With luck you hit it. But, but Marion, you haven't given up. I mean, you're actually studying horticulture now, is that right? That's
1: right. You know, all these years that I've worked with people like you, Peter, where you've been the expert and I've been the learner. And then um, when I got into my 60s and, and retired from full-time BBC work, um, I thought, you know, perhaps I should go to some classes and learn a bit more because I helped out and produced gardening programs for such a long time that people thought I knew as much as the experts. Of course I didn't. You know, I was always too busy doing technical things, etc. Um, uh, but, but people just did think that I knew as much as everybody else. And I thought, do you know, I'm going to have to do some learning. So I, I started off with a, a level one, and then I worked to a level two, and then I worked my way through the certificates that you can get from the RHS. And then I enjoyed it so much that when I sort of got through most of those, I decided to do a diploma, the, the, the National Diploma in Horticulture. And I found it fascinating because part of the joy for me is here I was in my 60s, learning all about gardening and horticulture with young people, some who are still in their teens, some who are mature, but I was mixing with a young group and it was just huge fun. It was quite challenging though, because I have arthritis and when I was t- with diploma, I had a a gammy hip, as we say up here, Um, you know, the hip had gone, I had to learn how to use a tractor and how to back a trailer into a garage, you know, all these sort of things that you need to know if you want to be a proper gardener, you have to be able to use equipment.
0: Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd be very good at backing a trailer on a traction.
1: And a forklift truck. I had a a, um, a, a teenage uh, nephew who was learning how to use a forklift truck, and I said, "You'll never guess. Your, <laughs> your old auntie's learning how to do it as well." I had to sit side saddle half the time because <laughs> because my hips could, just wouldn't do it. And um, so uh, anyway, I got but I got through it in the end. And and what I find is that whenever I finish one of these courses. I've just enjoyed them so much, and I've found, and you know, I'm learning so much. I just enjoy the learning, and I enjoy mixing with everybody. So every time I get to the end of the course, I have a break for a while, and I think, oh, I'm bored.
0: <laughs> Start doing another one. Well, good for you, Marion. If you can remind us in August when you have that change of time for Garden Mania, we'll remind our listeners that they'll need to change because uh, everybody can get local radio now, can't they, on their computers?
1: Yes, they can. Yes, they can. It's a a magic world, isn't it? You know, sometimes the world takes me aback, as it does, I think, for a lot of people, but there are some amazing things. (laughs) There are some amazing blessings in amongst it as well. Peter, it's been lovely talking to you,
0: and, um, you know, you'll have to come on my programme sometimes <laughs> I look forward to that Marion it's great <laughs> to be in touch with you after some really strong wind ten days ago um, I'm afraid some of the taller roses in my garden took a terrible bashing and, and so uh, the deadheading needs to be done a bit ruthlessly and if you have got roses that are starting to go over then just cast your eye down the stem until you come to a really good strong leaf with a bud at the base and that's where you prune. You cut off about six to eight inches of stem back to a good strong leaf and then there'll be some really strong growth for a second flush of flowers. And when that second flush does start to grow, particularly with uh, most of the hybrid tea and bush and shrub roses, it's worth getting two sprays of uh, systemic fungicide on. If you do that, if you actually get the fungicide into the young growth, then it will give uh, really good protection against mildew, rust and black spot diseases. The early bird certainly catches that worm. Uh, And really once you've uh, had a really good deadhead and pruned through, then it's worth giving that second lot of rose fertiliser. You know, the first lot went on in the spring, another lot now. And if the weather is a bit dry, if you're on the east of the country, well, then a really good watering helps. If you're anywhere near Essex, then next Sunday, I'll be opening the Little Waltham Gardens. The uh, opening is in aid of our local hospice. Uh, I think there'll be some very pretty gardens and there'll be some uh, vintage motor cars to have a look at. So if you're at a loose end... Why not come and look at some gardens and raise a bit of money for the local hospice? That's the Little Waltham Gardens Open in Essex. Thanks again to our sponsors, Thompson and Morgan. And thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next Thursday. Discover more at (laughs) sungardening.co.uk